Welcome to Right Side of the Brain, the arts and health podcast created by Interact Stroke Support. My guest in this edition is the actor Alex Hassel. Alex has appeared in a variety of theatre and TV roles. He's worked for the Royal Shakespeare Company. He was in the BBC's adaptation of Jesse Burton's The Miniaturist. And more recently, he was in the hit TV show The Boys. Alex is the co-founder of the highly respected Factory Theatres. This interview was recorded during the period of the lockdown. Alex Hassel, a very warm welcome to Right Side of the Brain. Thank you so much, Nij. <laughs> Lovely to be here. Thanks. That sounded very nice. How is your, your lockdown experience? In normal life, in sort of peacetime, as it were, I'm not very good at... I'm very, very... I realise, or I have always sort of known, but realise even more sort of sharply now, very driven and very uh, anxious, I suppose, about um, getting where I... Well, being able to do good work being able to get where I would like to go in terms of other work. Um, and I suppose, you know, it being sort of counted in a way that I would perceive, you know, I don't know, uh, these are all subjective, you know, obviously mm-hmm. ideas. And um, so I've never really had hobbies. Um, I've never really, everything I do out of insecurity, I think, is somehow aimed at furthering myself and my career and my work and my productivity. And actually, I've realised how it's so utterly wonderful to not always be like that, and to and how useful and how much how, how happy I've been actually uh, during some of this. That's a long answer to your, okay. <laughs> to your it's, question. It's it's the longest answer I've ever had, Mister. <laughs> However, it's, the, it's get, one of the most interesting answers. Okay, well, I've had. get used to it. That's I'm not good. very good at not very good at short answers. I'm afraid. No, that's, that, that's absolutely fine by me, Alex. Um, <laughs> let's start at the very beginning then. Um, who is Alex Hassel? Um, wh- where were you born? I was born in Essex in um, Rochford Hospital. My mum and dad lived in uh, South End and Chalkwell area. My mum still lives in Chalkwell. I grew up in Essex. My dad, around the time I was born, became a vicar. Um, so it meant that we moved a fair bit. Um, so around Essex in Tottenham for a bit um, and then back to Essex. Did, did you just say Tottenham? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh right. OK. And, and hope. I'm not a football supporter, just so uh, uh, okay. So to make well, that clear. Uh, I hope you realise that I am a, a football supporter. I, I, I am entirely aware of that issue. <laughs> It's hard to know you and not be aware, not be aware of that. So you managed to escape Tottenham. I yeah, I escaped Tottenham. Um, well, actually, I live now in Crouch End, which isn't that far from Tottenham, but it's, it's um, yeah. Well, the riots went down our road and everything when we were young. I, that's one memory I do have from from uh, from Tottenham because I was only like six or something. But um, anyway, yeah. So uh, and I have brothers and sisters. I've uh, two older brothers and an older sister. So uh, when you said that your father was a vicar, uh, uh, mm. were you a, a religious family? Yeah, yeah. My mum was religious first, actually. My, so my mum was from a religious family. My dad was a Quaker before he became. He was a Quaker and, a, and an accountant before he became a vicar. Just sort of before I was born, 
started to get because mum went to a church and I think a really good progressive interesting church at the time dad started to get more interested in it and then essentially I think you know felt a kind of bolt of lightning calling as it were um so obviously changed you know radically changed their life um supported by my mum and um yeah became a vicar yeah so we then grew up well I'm 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 seven years older than my next, younger than my next sibling. So my childhood with dad as a vicar was quite different from theirs with him as an accountant. But yeah, we were religious. I was an altar boy, um, was religious. And I guess I'd started to question those things. And by the time I was about 16, I was doing religious studies at school, which was actually a lot of it was theological philosophy, which I was found very fascinating and just sort of fell out of believing it. And I think my brothers and sisters, some of them had already sort of gone through that stuff. So nothing I have ever done is kind of new to my mum and dad, as younger children will know. Mm. Um, and my mum and dad were very cool about it. I think they, you know, would they basically just care that we're good people so you know it was never sort of um this betrayal or anything like that mm. so yeah so what what were the childhood aspirations of of the young alex well since the age of 12 i wanted to be an actor so i had you know until 12 i was playing computer games and painting miniatures yeah so i had you know i was just being a kid and um kind of doing whatever and then i went to see a musical at the crampon theater called the rock nativity which is from my own opinion these days not the kind of you know thing i would necessarily choose to be in now but and i just came out being absolutely certain that that was what i wanted to do um looking back on it um i think this is a very glib thing to say but i think that there was two sides of a room one side of the room everyone was looking at the other side of the room and i thought well i'd rather be in the side of the room being looked at um, and I think that, you know, is partly about being a youngest child and um, needing sort of attention and all of that kind of stuff. So tell me the journey to, to drama school. then. So from that moment, I was like, right, that's it. I need to, you know, get as involved in this as I can. So we looked in the local paper um, and there was an audition for there was only musicals around where I was in Essex at the time for Bugsy Malone and that was one of my favourite films and I auditioned and I already would like walk around the village dressed as Bugsy Malone and stuff like that um so I auditioned for it and got the part of Bugsy Malone and thought well if it's as easy as this <laughs> this is what I'm gonna do it has never been as easy as that since then <laughs> um but uh and then just did musicals in every single spare moment that I had um uh, stopped going to church on Sundays and would go and rehearse all you know all day Sunday would do singing, dancing and acting lessons on Saturdays, would do dancing lessons in the evenings during the week. And that was everything that I did, basically. And um, and like produce stuff at school and um, I guess kind of direct stuff, although I suppose we didn't really think about it that much until then. And then as I got to maybe 16, I joined the National Youth Music Theatre um, and did one show there, The Kissing Dance, and had a, you know, a big part in that with people now that are doing very very well in musicals and stuff and but all the time really I lost my confidence in my singing voice during that time because I kind of got bullied by an older guy but I really always wanted to be a non-musical actor um but I just wanted any chance I could to get into the industry so that, that's why I would sort of try and be a triple threat if I you know could um but really my passion lay in the words I suppose um 
so when I was about 16, I went to the Junior Guild Hall of Music and Drama, uh, and that was just kind of blew my mind. I hated Essex growing up, and I'd always felt like an outsider, so getting to London was something I'd always wanted to do and felt that I would find my people there, as it were, and I did really feel that in this group, and the teacher was amazing, Alastair Middleton, um, pushed us, and we did Shakespeare, you know, like, properly well I say properly like really believed it that we had the abilities to try and sort of tackle this stuff and really challenge me and and then at school I did English and we were studying Hamlet at A level and we decided to put on a production of Hamlet so I co-directed and played Hamlet when I was 17 I think at school and that was a you know felt like I understood a certain amount of it in a way that when it sort of moved through me felt extremely extremely powerful like kind of the most sort of alive, most powerful thing I'd ever really felt, I suppose, which further solidified my sort of desire to do that. Uh, and then auditioned for three drama schools, only got into one of them and went to that one, um, which was central. Can I just go back? You, you made a comment there where you said you really hated Essex. Um, yeah. Could you just tell tell me why? What what, what was it about yeah. about Essex that you you hated? Well, I was really bullied. I think that was a big part of it. Not particularly physically, you know, I got kind of punched a couple of times, but that that wasn't really it. I was really sort of psychologically bullied. Um, And I always felt like an outsider. I've been to loads and loads of therapy in the so I could go into two very deep sort of holes about what all of this is about. But I suppose to put it in a nutshell yeah I was I always felt like an outsider always felt very unpopular which I don't know was actually looking back completely true but I was very passionate about drama and theatre and dance and singing and stuff like that which was not necessarily what everyone else around me was doing people were everyone thought I was gay or would bully me for being gay and I didn't know what I was at the time and also was definitely not gonna uh, you know be I felt if I was like no I'm not gay I'm not gay then it would be I guess it was the way that I was brought up, that it would make people around me, if they were gay and being secretive, you know, not secretive, but didn't feel they could come out about it, that it would make them feel worse, mm, even worse. Yeah. So I just would never, I'd just tell them to F off and and would never sort of say what I was or what I wasn't. So that, you know, I didn't kind of respond in the way that I guess they were expecting. Mm. So that I kind of made it worse for me, I guess, but also gave me a freedom because basically there was no one else like me at school and it and I sort of carved out a space that was quite flamboyant actually um and eccentric I think which I can look back on and feel slightly <laughs> uncomfortable about now but it gave me quite a lot of room for expression I suppose mm. um but but I definitely felt that I didn't connect to people although I had friends I didn't feel a deep sort of um a deep connection um, so I felt quite lonely, I guess. Yeah. So I always sort of wanted to get out. Mm. Um, yeah. So there you are. You've you've applied to three drama schools. You've got into one, um, which was central. Um, tell us about your time there, because my image, which could be wrong, Alex, is that it's at central that your ideas in in and with a a, a few other people. Uh, is that the, the the seed and the breeding ground for what later would become uh, the development of the factory? Mm. Uh, well, actually, that isn't quite accurate. That it happened quite some years after um, drama school. But my friendship with Tim Evans definitely uh, was 
born at, at a drama school. Yeah, I had a really, really, really brilliant time at Central. Um, I, I think uh, my year were very, very talented um, and hardworking and very different. Um, and I was in London, you know, uh, and that, uh, and I wasn't bullied, and I wasn't unpopular, and I wasn't sort of thought of as being somehow like sexually other even do you know what I mean mm. like I suddenly was like all oh, right so it was quite a heady and confusing in some ways confusing time personally and sort of uh, aside from the work but the work was uh amazing I mean to suddenly just you know all day every day be working on incredibly complicated characters that you're not actually yet experienced or capable enough or intelligent enough to play <laughs> was sort of uh really really brilliant i quite enjoy a, a challenge although i get insecure about them i i find if still if i look at something and go oh well, i don't think i'm good enough to do that then that's very exciting to me um so i worked really really hard and you know there were people around me that were just better than me and that was really because you can't often when you go to drama school you're the sort of the best person from your area and then you go to a group of people who are all at least as good as you, if not better than you. And, and that's with completely different life experience. And um, so I found that really, really exciting. But I think looking back, I don't know. I, I, I'm inter- I think there's a bit, I don't know who I mean from, but maybe friends or that there's a perception that I got quite a lot better from going to drama school to a, sort of a bit later with the factory that I don't know if I was any, I don't know if people thought I was good or not at drama school, but I worked really hard. Yeah. So, but then, yeah. So when I was there made, you know, friends, I, I don't, don't really have particular friends, like very close friends. My close friends now aren't necessarily the people I went to drama school with, but um, yeah, a group of friends was formed then. And Tim Evans, who I ended up making the factory with, was yeah one of my best friends in drama school yeah so you leave drama school alex mm-hmm. uh, what, what what happens then well then you're plunged into attempting to be an actor um and attempting to get work and survive not getting work um i was lucky enough to already have an agent before going to drama school through the national youth music theater so i did little bits of work in the summer holidays and things and I think on my last day at Central, I went to audition for a film called Cold Mountain that Anthony Magella directed. And I got a tiny part in that and then went and did that. And actually was a brilliant experience, but also a really bad experience because I didn't know what I was doing. I think I had a really inflated idea of what I was going to be out of drama school. <laughs> I think I thought I was going to walk into, you know, like leads in everything and like be this huge and amazing actor straight away. And that didn't happen. You know, it's sort of I basically over. It's gone up and down. Basically, I sort of have done some work and then not done some work and tried to get some better work and not been able to and then tried, you know, more. And, you know, it's it's been a slow clawing process upwards, I guess. You know, I came out, did some bits of TV and like uh, bits of adverts and kind of thought, right, I'm on the road to the top here. And then uh, those things tailed off. And then what really started to change things for me is that I did a play called Hardcore about making gay porn films at uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, and a director in that uh, from uh, came to see that, and he was doing a play called Blood and Ice by Liz Lockhead about Byron Shelley and Percy Biff Shelley, uh, Mary Shelley, um, at the Royal Lyceum in Edinburgh. And I got the part of Byron in that. 
and that was an amazing experience. Really difficult stuff. The di- I love the director, Graham McLaren. Um, he really pushed us, and that was, you know, really, I loved that. And then from that, John Dove auditioned me to play Happy in Death of a Salesman, and I did that. And then he was working at The Globe, and I got to work in um, Measure for Measure at The Globe with him then, and then with Mark. And then the next season, I did The Tempest uh, with Mark, so that was, a, and then out of that, I worked, that was with Tim Carroll and that sort of the factory kind of came out of that. And then again, I thought, right, I'm at the top now. I've just been in the three man Tempest with Mark Rylance. I'm like making it. And then I just didn't work for ages again after that. So I've learned now not to believe my own mental hype after many years. So, so tell us about the birth of the factory then. Yeah. So um, I'd worked with Tim Carroll. And he just absolutely blew my mind. Uh, well, and Mark and the Globe experience completely blew my mind about acting, what acting was, what the aim of it was, what about Shakespeare and um, how to approach Shakespeare in the language and, and the Globe experience, how to, how a different way of thinking of working with an audience, I suppose, and seeing Mark, you know, Mark, obviously, I think enough words have been said about how good Mark is at that stuff. But that was an incredibly profound and formative, exciting, and enlivening experience. So I really wanted to keep working with Tim Carroll and just keep that level of sort of um, growth, personal growth. And at the same time, Tim Evans was, I think, living with his mum and dad in Hereford and had had a different time of it out of drama school. I can't remember. I think I had a business idea or something, and we were going to do this business idea. So I said, why don't you just come and sort of like crash with me while we get this going. And he had a theatre company had just done a one-man show that was really, really good. So anyway, he came down to stay with me. And out of just talking and talking and talking about this business idea, we realised that we didn't want to do a business idea. We wanted to, you know, he was like, why don't you join my theatre company? I was like, well, I'm not going to join your theatre company. We can make our own theatre company. So then he lived with me and we actually shared a bed, I think, for like nine months and just talked and talked and talked and talked about why does the world need another theatre company um and what are we we were really angry i think at the time despite i just had a really wonderful time at the globe i think we were really frustrated with the industry feeling like such a closed shop and And so what what do you mean by a a closed shop do do you mean that it was always the same actors getting the same roles well yeah i guess at the time that's the perception i had i think as i said i think at the time it felt like a closed shop i guess actually what it is is it's an incredibly competitive industry that is not a meritocracy basically it's there are so many other factors that go into who gets what job and what jobs there are and you know what the the landscape looks like at the time that it can feel well very small numbers of the people that want jobs can get jobs basically and that can feel very painful and i think the thing for us that felt so sort of unfair almost was that you couldn't be an actor if you weren't in the industry. Like you'd, you'd grown up and spent so much time and passion and, you know, really identified yourself and felt so connected to something through a, a, a craft, whether it's an art form or not, I'm not sure, but a craft slash art form that you then basically aren't, can't really be involved in unless you get are given this place in a kind of business industry world and that just seemed unfair um so i think that's largely where the anger kind of came so and then other fast uh, sort of aspects were for ourselves we felt you know we should be 
being given more chances, I guess. And but also looking around at other people and seeing like our friends, certain friends being like, they're just the best actors I've seen. Like, I don't know anyone. I can't point to anyone I'm seeing on it in anything that is as good as they are. And they're not doing the work. So why? So we wanted to kind of create a space where other people could work and we could learn from them and like really challenge ourselves. Because also as a young actor, unless you're very, very lucky, well, as any actor, unless you're very, very lucky, often the work you get to do, if you get to do any work at all, is not that good. And like the 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 part may be very small or very thin or, you know, very infrequent, that it's very difficult to really like grow and learn yes. and develop. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to create a place where we could keep growing and learning and developing. So really, we just ha- hashed out all of the, what we didn't want to do and what we didn't need. And w- one of the key things for us is that we were actors and knew absolutely nothing about anything else <laughs> um, and didn't really want to know anything about anything else. We just wanted to act and have a chance to challenge ourselves in that way and you know make work maybe if that kind of came out of this that we didn't want to try and raise money because if we were going to try and raise money, that all we'd do is spend time raising money mm. and, and not work. So we just tried to create everything based on not needing any money. Mm. And then we started talking to Tim Carroll and he <clears throat> started to dig this stuff. Um, and he's a, you know, incredibly clever um, man. And all of the ideas just sort of kind of came together into something that was quite unusual um or seemed to us anyway and certainly some other people quite unusual and and i think very helpful and interesting to a certain number of people at least and in the end created at least some work which was interesting and you know um worthwhile yeah i found it tremendously liberating for example doing the 15 minute plays Mm. i i absolutely loved that and i loved yeah, me too. Watching the other writers create their 15-minute plays. I, I loved actors swapping roles, uh, you know, at any given point in time. I, I just found that a really unique, exciting experience for, for me personally. Mm. And I, I love The Factory. I've always always had a, a soft spot for them. Um, but... but so so there it is it's this very exciting hub with these very very creative people um working together and exp- experimenting then the, the factory uh dis- did plays like macbeth am i right it sort of moved into doing uh, shakespeare plays so we started doing hamlet that was the first Hamlet's thing we did yeah. um so that was i guess t- uh, i don't know 13 years ago or something like that so hamlet was the first thing we did uh, and then we did an improvised version of the seagull. Um, and then I think the next thing was that 50-50 in round two, well, round one and then 50-50 in round two, working with writers. And that was the first time that that was my idea. And I was sort of in charge and directed that stuff before then it had been Tim Carroll. Um, and then, so I was just thinking about your question uh, that you'd written, you know, suggesting that you might, want to talk about how come we didn't keep working with writers in the same way but that part of it is that around that time my dad died um and i i mean with that had been coming he had cancer for a long time almost 10 years and i just couldn't it just took me out of the factory basically entirely and um and something we've always struggled with and continue to struggle with and you know it's sort of boiled into the factory's DNA is uh, 
person power and sort of managerial because the idea is we're all doing it and do other jobs at the same time if you know what I mean so there's no sort of central kind of core well there's no one full-time and no one being paid so when we certain members disappear it kind of is it's very very difficult to uh kind of keep it going in the same way so the odyssey was something that I was never part of and sort of happened in that period of my dad dying and then uh, that went on for a while and then Tim Carroll left because uh, he runs the Shaw Festival Theatre in um, Canada now and then and then uh, I can't remember when around that time Tim Evans left as well and then Liam Evans Ford now where he went to York to um, produce there and now uh, is the executive director theatre fluid so sort of the everything changed and it felt like the factory had sort of you know people wanted to continue it because they really cared about it but there was a there wasn't a sort of central driving force whatever and I was very unsure and to sort of continue and have a way like for a long time gone up and down as to my relationship with the factory but then went into the RSC and sort of um did a long time at the RSC and had a big experience which I'm sure we'll talk about the RSC and came out of that wanting to sort of take charge again and believe that I could take charge more sort of solely and 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 it had been a useful period of time because I'd I had such a long time away from the factory and away from Tim Carroll, who is has very certain ways of looking at things and doing things, which I found incredibly inspiring and useful, but then needed to have a process of me just working out what I, taking all the learnings from different people and from Tim, what I felt if I was just speaking for myself, mm. you know. So we had thought of, you know, was trying to think what would be the right thing to do and new writing has all you know i've always i absolutely loved that period that you just talk about and found it you know so exciting and i've been always wanted to find ways of bringing that back but at that time because i'd just been doing loads of shakespeare i felt that it was really what i wanted to explore is i needed to get out of my system a lot of the stuff that i'd been exploring as an actor i suppose um, so that seemed like the right, and also partly I wanted to set back to the beginning as well, mm. in a way. So then we did Macbeth, yeah, which I uh, directed, and and also like w- the thing, the difficulty with new writing is I know much less about new writing and writers, and and like they'd always, it's so to get loads and loads of new plays and to read them and vet them is a bigger job and requires more people, and the different people that we'd had as a sort of writing person, as it were have then just at the time as we wanted to do that had to disappear and do something else. So it's always been one of those like, ah, um, and indeed the idea I had for zoom as like a zoom stuff over this time was very much based on round two. And I'd love to do that stuff again. It's just so hard. Mm -hmm. And now I work a lot more, you know, thankfully, but is it's becoming increasingly difficult for us to well continue really, I suppose, but that's a larger question. What does the future hold for the factory and what would do you think your role is going to be in it? Yeah, it's a really difficult question. I mean, so currently what's happening is that Scott Brooksbank, who uh, you might well remember, who's been sort of um, in the kind of central core leadership group, if there is such a thing, for a long, long time, and has been a member of the factory and, a, you know, an amazingly important one for a very long time. He is leading... Um, we, we Every year we go to 
the Willow Globe in Wales, which is this tiny little um, outdoor kind of theatre space made of living willow, and do a really experimental show, usually barely rehearsed at all or, you know, rehearsed not much. And we were going to go and do Love's Labour's Lost that he was going to be in charge of. And obviously because of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, we can't do that. So he's been running sessions online um, about that and they're going to do a performance of it online. So that's currently what's happening. And past that, there's no plan. And um, I actually partly, well, already, but also because of what some of the stuff I was saying at the beginning of this, I we're going to put the factories to sleep for an indefinite period of time is what's happening. We've been thought about it so much, so many different ways about basically I find I can't, I can't keep my hand in, in any real or useful way whilst juggling all the other work that I'm doing. And actually in the end, nor do I want to, because that's quite high pressured some of the work. And when I'm not doing it, I've realized actually I really need to, not work <laughs> you know uh, have time with my family and and sort of decompress for want of a less cliched idea and i find it i also i'm very emotionally invested in it and it, the thing about the factory that i love but it's also very complicated as a leader is that it, it's not democratic in that i'm in charge and you know i make the final decisions about everything but it's very uh, i suppose it's quite egalitarian and it's quite it's supposed to be very caring and you're uh, like the idea is that you really listen to each other and really care about each other and are really it's as much about each other and the community as it is mm. about the work so it means you i want everyone to have a space to feel that they can really communicate what they need and um but that's also very a lot of responsibility a lot of emotional responsibility and occasionally i've hurt people's feelings because i've mismanaged stuff and like especially if i'm trying to juggle too many other things and that's just quite a lot to take on at the same time as kind of high-pressured work. So, And we've also thought about, you know, can I hand it over to someone else and stuff? And and time has shown us that, that it's quite difficult if there isn't a very clear core. And it, none of it, it doesn't seem that there's there's an appropriate way to do that, really. Mm. Um, and I think it's so linked to, well, now, in my personality and my specific makeup mm that I'm not sure how fair it would be for someone else to do it either because it's sort of there are certain things that I don't that I think make it what it is and can't be taken away that is very difficult to make someone else follow and at the same time I reserve the right as a leader to completely change all of that whenever I want to <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, yeah. yeah it's sort of too complicated um yeah. so it makes me sad that you know, it may never resurface, I don't know, or it may resurface in a very different way. And that's been really hard. I've thought about that for quite a long time, but there are so many people still who, you know, really, and I still care about it and still believe in the work. And there are so many people that I feel, you know, say that they gain a great mm. deal from it, certainly, you know, from the community, but also from being all of the stuff that we set it up for, for being constantly pushed, for really challenging yourself, but also being kind of, guided in a caring way is what I certainly have tried to do in my development as a leader. Alex, tell us about your experiences at the RSC because you were there for quite a long time. I was, yeah. Yeah, so I went in to do once, well, many years ago actually, right at the beginning of the factory I did a tour of Othello um, that Catherine Hunter directed 
um, which we never went to Stratford and didn't, you know, it was the RSC, but it sort of didn't particularly feel part of the RSC, as it were. So um, the next thing I did, I can't even remember how long ago now. Oh, it was when my dad died, so like 10 years ago, did a production with Greg Doran called Cardenio, which was based on Double Falsehood, which is a play that Shakespeare wrote some of anyway and sort of got lost. Um, and Greg sort of took that script and other, it was based on a Cervantes story, so in Don Quixote, and so he took other works of Cervantes and stuff and made it into a play. So we did that, and in the same season I did Midsummer Night's Dream and um, The City Madam. And uh, it, the part I played with Greg was a really, really, really great part. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I think all of the stuff I'd learned at the factory was very applicable to the part. Um, and Greg, I think, enjoyed that. So a couple of years later, asked me if I would be Hal and Henry V in what would end up being a number of years working there. And then through different timings changing, I ended up doing Death of a Salesman in the middle of that bit this time in Death of a Salesman. So I was there for two and a half years uh, for that, for the Henry's and Death of a Salesman um, in Stratford and then in the Barbican and then uh, in the West End for Death of a Salesman and in China, Hong Kong and New York for um, the history cycle. And, and yeah, sorry, for the Henry fours one and two, we also did a regional tour of the UK. Um, so massive, massive, massive commitment and I mean to playing Hal and Henry because we would in the end once we'd got it all up and running and everything we would do with Richard II too which I wasn't in cycles of the play so over a weekend the same audience would sit in the same seats and see Henry IV one mm -hmm. and two and then Henry V mm -hmm. over two days I mean and that was just it was meant the experience was many things because it was a very long time but that remains one you know an incredibly profound experience um to play a part of that scale and complexity uh, for such a long time so many performances um and certainly with the way that i work which is to continually attempt to re-explore the material over and over and over every time and to be battered around by your impulses and stuff within obviously the framework of the production that you're doing and within the framework of the way that the director and the rest of the cast work and everything. It was an incredibly profound experience to get to know a character, well, a text uh, that well and to jump out of your life into this imaginary life so much was was incredible um and then at the same and then to do death of a salesman in the middle of it um and play biff which is an incredibly complex part which actually i found i loved i loved but also gave me massive confidence issues which i think is partly the part and partly myself um so it was a huge it was a giant experience basically and i think it's led to a great deal of the work i'm doing now in you know directly and indirectly um and also built in me a sort of core of um, belief in myself, I suppose, um, and a deep sort of humble thankfulness for that opportunity. Alex, so I've noticed uh, in our conversation you using certain words, uh, anxiety, uh, insecurity, uh, a loss of confidence. And I've picked up on those uh, to, to ask you, 
What is your view of, of the arts in relation to health? Well, that's a really good question. <laughs> and there's so many aspects to it. I often liken being an actor to being in uh, an abusive relationship. <laughs> um, because... Being an abusive relationship is supporting Arsenal Football Club. Let me tell you that, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe they're similar. Um, but I think this that you well from my understanding of abusive relationships anyway that you a bit of light is shone upon you and it feels like the best thing in the whole world and like something you've always wanted and worked towards and then the light is closed off and you basically undergo any degradation to get back to that sort of position um so i find i have quite a complex relationship with being an actor i on the whole well if the circumstances are right and the material is good and the people I'm working with, I, you know, fire off and respect and enjoy the experience. Acting can be, you know, so incredibly euphorically, profoundly amazing and transcendent um, that it is very, very positive for my mental health um, and makes me um, more empathetic to other people um, humbled also makes me feel powerful and confident yeah I, that when it's sort of in working in that way it's incredible I find I find it very difficult to work on things that I don't believe in or with people I don't really believe in um, I'm not a combative person um, so I certainly try not to take it out on other people but I find it emotionally kind of horrible to put myself, attempt to emotionally put myself through an experience that I, or a part or some writing or, uh, you know, something that I feel like I don't fit or doesn't uh, have integrity. And then I find acting, the business of being an actor, the all the other stuff that is being an actor, which is not acting. Um, well, some of it, when you're really lucky, is absolutely amazing, like traveling and sometimes money. And, uh, you know, those, uh, when you get that kind of, heady other stuff but a lot of the other stuff is not like that most of the other stuff is not like that most of the other stuff is feeling like you're continually banging on doors and they're being slammed in your face or is rejection and sense of you know anxiety and failure and fears that you're not good enough and or that the world of it is unjust and you know cruel and you know all of that stuff also i think on the whole and this is again very glib thing to say I don't think really, really balanced people go into acting. <laughs> like, why would you want to be an actor? Mm. Yeah, I think most people, in when you, you know, I am much more balanced now, and yet I still want to be an actor, although I question that quite a lot. But the, I think the initial desire to be an actor, whenever that seed is planted, is probably because you feel you're not witnessed in some way or you need something more than you're currently mm. getting. So, mm. um it's not just the industry. I think it's also what you're bringing to it, I suppose. Alex, you, you've worked in a lot of uh, uh, television shows. And recently, one of my boys, who's uh, my youngest one, who's at university, said to me, Dad, you've, you've got to watch this TV uh, show. It's really brilliant. It's called The Boys. And um, mm. I said, oh, OK, I'll find that. I'll, I'll watch The Boys. And I, I obviously watched the series and I, I loved it. And uh, I said to my youngest son, I said, oh, you know, um, translucent. And my son said, oh, yeah, you know, absolutely fantastic. I said, I said to him, you know, he's, he's, yeah, he's a mate of mine. And there was this, 
there was this sort of, <laughs> what what I was oh yeah 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 Alex is Alex is a, is a better man so I am now uber cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad to be of service. <laughs> yeah. What was that like working on, on The Boys? Well, again, it was many things. It was actually, it was complicated in some ways. I was in Canada for quite a long time, for longer than you would think for a part like that. Um, and I enjoyed Canada, but I was away from, you know, M and from, and, and I was coming into something that I was leaving, uh, not to ruin anything for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, whereas everyone else was starting and lasting. Mm. So there's a different sort of set of relationships that they're building than sort of you might be mm. building. Uh, so I was alone quite a lot of the time, knocking around Canada. So that was quite challenging. Um, well, it's important to say that I see the boys and really like it. I think it's a great show and I feel very proud of my work in it and I'm very pleased that mm. I did it. But again, it's one of those things that there's so much else going on around the experience of doing it. We The way that filming started was that we did a lot of that. So for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm playing a character called Translucent who is invisible and then can become visible. So a lot of this first part of my work, because we shot the first episode first, was me in a big blue condom moving <laughs> things around. <laughs> um, and I, so not really kind of acting. And then like the stunt person would be there or then they'd do you know i'd like roll get knocked over and roll on the floor and then they'd sort of unceremoniously say okay so you get out now and we'll shoot the real stuff which is like nothing um so i think there was a perception that i was a physical performer or stunt performer or something so i didn't feel that like i had much room as an actor and it wasn't until the second episode when i actually got to do more and be in the cage and have proper scenes that it was like, oh, right, oh, this guy's an actual, like, actor. Um, and I enjoyed that aspect of it kind of a bit more. So, um, but it was cool to be, I hadn't been on an American show like that before. Um, so that was really interesting. And there were really nice people on it. And, you know, uh, the writing's fantastic. Could you share with us, Alex, are there any sort of different practices that occur working, you know, on an American set that you can compare and contrast with working on a, a British set? Yeah, that's really interesting. So I'm now half, well, not quite halfway through, I'm partway through a big American show for Netflix called Cowboy Bebop, which is based on a Japanese anime. This is a live action version of it. We'll be hopefully going back to finish that soon. So I've had more, and I'm a, you know, I've got a lot of a regular role that goes through the thing. So I have more of an experience of more of the processes of it now. And the big difference is the, the hierarchical structure, I guess, like as in on set, there's not necessarily that many differences in terms of, you know, um, sometimes the names of people's titles might be different. And, but on the whole, you have someone doing that job and that job and that job, they might, you know, and they're on the whole done in the same way. Although, I mean, I still don't know what more than half of those people do, but it's more the hierarchical structure, hierarchical structure in terms of like the showrunner and like the number of producers and the showrunner and who I'm still trying to work out who is in charge of what, who has the final say of what, who do I go to about what and that kind of stuff. So, you know, in, in the UK shows don't kind of work in the same way like that. So it's much more, I talk to the director about this or, you know, or one of the producers well, or the, you know, the producer who's on set. But it's interesting, so my understanding of all of this too is growing as I get more responsibility. So, for, you know, for a long time, I would occasionally have 
a fair amount of responsibility in something, but it would only be for an episode or two or maybe three if I was kind of lucky. Whereas now I've got much more responsibility in something that will be 10 episodes. And, you know, so there's more for me to get to grips with in terms of um, I still am working out how I'm supposed to be in this sort of situation, aside from the acting, if you know what I mean, how much of the collaborate how much collaboration am I allowed and you know like um I always have a perception of fearing that I'm going to be a naughty boy and and, and like stray into areas that I'm not supposed to be in um so I'm sort of always trying to work out kind of those uh, those things um yeah I find often working with American actors is different like you know there's a different thing about British actors and American actors a lot of the time uh, and I think part of that is to do with well I suppose it depends if you mean like New York American actors or LA I suppose in that theatre is you know you get with a British actor on something and you very quickly and you kind of whether or not you get on that well or whatever you there's a common sort of understanding or language of approach or tone even about what you're doing um whereas Americans uh that mainly come through TV and you know film have just a very different way of dealing with their nerves for example or or their acting process is different and stuff like that. So that's always really fascinating. So, so when, uh, hopefully, would did you say it was called Cowboy Bebop? Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. Well, when, hopefully, would that mm-hmm. be coming out, Alex? No idea. So we're only partway through it, um, partly because we shut down. This is all in the press, so I'm allowed to say. I need to be really careful about what I'm allowed to say. <laughs> but... Um, the lead actor, John Cho, um, suffered an injury on set that was no one's fault and just one of those things. So they shut production down for him to recover. And then during that, it further got shut down because of this pandemic. We're filming in New Zealand. Um, so, they're, you know, every, as everyone in the industry and in the world in general is trying to work out when can things now be done. Um, we don't know when, you know, hopefully as soon as possible in a safe way. Um, but we've still got a lot left of the series to film before it can then, and it's quite a, um, a special effects. I wouldn't say driven, but there's a lot of special effects shots in the show. So that would then take the post-production more, you know, take time. So I don't know. Alex Hassel. Thank you. Thank you, Nisha. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. That was Alex Hassel. For more information, At our work, please do visit our website at www.interactstrokesupport.org and if you're feeling generous, please do click on the big red donate button. We very much look forward to your company on the next edition of Right Side of the Brain.